Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Deborah Cohen, Editor-in-Chief of Middle Market Growth Magazine. I'm here with Katie Mulligan, the magazine's Associate Editor. Katie, who'd you talk to for the podcast this week? Hey Deb, I spoke with Roger Nanny, Vice Chairman of Deloitte and Deloitte Private U.S. Leader. Late last year, Deloitte published a report called Global Perspectives for Private Companies, which was based on responses to a survey of executives at middle market companies worldwide. So we asked Roger to come in uh, to talk to us on the podcast to talk about some of the findings. The report had some really interesting insights about how companies are feeling about their growth prospects, plus how they're dealing with challenges like technology disruption and talent acquisition, things like that that we're keeping a very close eye on here at Middle Market Growth. That's great. Thanks, Katie. I can't wait to uh, to hear what Roger has to say. Let's get into the interview. Here's Katie speaking with Roger Nanny. I am here with Roger Nanny. Roger, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's good to be with you today. Great. To start out, can you give a sense of the size and geographic scope of the companies that participated in the Deloitte Private Global Survey that your company released in December? Of course, and again, thank you for allowing me to join you today. The, the survey was conducted in the fall of, of uh, 2017, where we, we surveyed 1,882 executives from 30 countries across all three regions of the world, the Americas, Europe and the Middle East, and Africa, and Asia Pacific. The respondents in the survey were uh, from private companies, leaders of private companies that had annual revenues ranging between $10 million and $1 billion. The other, I think, interesting, interesting aspect from the survey is that 79% of the respondents had uh, revenues outside their home country. And um, so I, I, we feel like we've gotten a pretty good picture of you know, what the private company landscape looks like around the world. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that 79% figure. I think that's really interesting in the context of a lot of the conversation that's now happening politically is, you know, more protectionist policies, both in the United States and Europe, elsewhere around the world. You know, are, are companies starting to feel nervous about this trend toward greater isolationism, even as more and more of them are doing business outside of their home countries? Well, it, as we'll probably talk about at some point in, in the survey, while these tend to be a pretty optimistic group of executives, they do uh, reflect in the survey a growing level of uncertainty, although those uncertainties you know, don't only relate to geopolitical uncertainties and risks, but other things that um, you know create the idea that they have to be more agile and they have to think about, you know, potential barriers to their achieving their goals. But I, I don't think that the, uh, the potential for the geopolitical risk is outweighed by any other risk that they deal with. In fact, if you look in a couple of the case studies in the survey, it, it shows that these companies are continuing to you know, implement their plans and continue to expect to see global growth, both from a revenue standpoint as well as uh, as well as moving you know operations to different parts of the world to help achieve a more efficient business model. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some of the uncertainty that they're feeling, but at the same time, the survey showed um, that 
89% said they feel confident in the growth prospects of their own businesses over the next two years. How do you square those seemingly competing sentiments? Well, it's interesting. When you think about the confidence side, we've actually conducted similar surveys in the U.S. for the last several years, and we found that this, this tends to be a pretty optimistic bunch. Um, and and they and deservedly so because we we continue to see in their in the survey reports that they are seeing increasing revenues and increasing profitability, um, but as well that their confidence also comes from the fact that they are living in a global economy right now that's operating in sync from a growth standpoint for the first time in a decade. Uh, we have the major economies of the world moving in sync, and many, if not most, of these economies are projecting uh, increased economic growth over the prior year. So it's, it's, it's a positive environment for these companies and, and I think contributes to their level of optimism. Now, when you look at increasing levels of uncertainty, there are the the, these issues that we talk about that these companies and their leadership teams have to navigate, geopolitical uncertainties, uncertainties around uh, other risks like competition from market disruptors, you know, foreign exchange fluctuations, or, or weak domestic demand. And, and no single you know, risk sort of stood out from all the others. And I think the, the sort of um, takeaway, at least for me as I look at the results from the survey, is that these companies, while uh, facing uncertainty, they tend to be pretty agile and they tend to take a long-term view, which you know allows them to continue to execute on their strategies and achieve the sorts of growth and profitability that they expect. Hmm. We recently have seen pretty intense market volatility, and this survey was done in the fall. Do you think the recent stock market volatility has had any impact on how these companies are maybe seeing their future growth prospects? Well, clearly we don't have an answer specifically that comes out of a survey or or a recent uh, response that would tell us for sure, but my my judgment would be that this is just, you know, one sort of piece of information that these executives, you know, have to consider and in fact probably a a small piece. I mean, if you think about context, there are roughly 4,000 public companies in the United States, and there are approximately 200,000 privately held mid-market companies in the U.S. And so volatility in the public markets, as you know, comes from a number of different uh, challenges and different measures of activity produce different kinds of volatility and, and you can't always directly correlate to the economy or what's happening with these private companies. So given you know, sort of the context and the size, I wouldn't expect that this would have you know, a big impact on their decisions. Hmm. And you mentioned a bit earlier uh, one of the one of the risks that companies are, are facing that they mentioned in the survey was technological disruption. Can you talk about kind of the ways in which they're seeing that as a threat and then also maybe how it also presents an opportunity? What did the survey say in that regard? Well, this, this whole uh, period we're in of 
digital disruption is, you know, it's, it's one, it's just quite interesting to watch as what we call the democratization of technology begins to happen, which means that smaller companies are able to take advantage of technology platforms that were, you know, in the recent past out of reach from an economic standpoint. And so in, in the survey, two-thirds of these private company respondents thought that tech, the advances in technology would create both new opportunities as well as positive outcomes. So I think it's you know, certainly viewed as an advantage. But there are some caveats to that. Uh, as you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, digital uh, transformation produces the opportunity for disruption. And so companies, and we see it in the survey, these companies must look internally and begin to think about ways to disrupt themselves so that they can you know, be aware of the competitive forces out there. Sectors are beginning to become blurred in terms of how you think about what type of business a company's in. And, and as these technologies continue to be implemented, it will provide lots of opportunity, but it as well requires a level of technology governance, a level of you know, closer working relationships between the IT department and senior leadership. If you look, you know, at the respondents again across those sorts of technologies that are going to be most significant, the top ones were cyber intelligence, uh, analytics, cloud, mobility, and, and big data. And as I'm sure you see in other readings and in our technology reports, we we continue to see greater and greater momentum around the deployment of these kind of technologies, especially in the in the mid-market. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, talent was another interesting topic that the report covered. How are you seeing private companies deal with the tight labor market that we're experiencing currently? Well, it, again, it's another interesting challenge when you've got, you know, a growing world economy, the economy is growing in sync, and you've got a, you know, continued tightening labor market. It, it does pose you know, a real talent challenge, especially in the survey, these companies report, 45% report that they're going to be hiring more people in the coming year. Uh, I think two things that sort of stood out for me in the report, we, we see that while they are focused on hiring, there actually was a higher percentage that said they were going to be investing more in training and development. And that goes to, I think, a maturing of, of these uh, company leaders around thinking more broadly about the talent uh, area and partnering more with their talent uh, leaders within the companies to better develop their employees, think more about succession, focus on a learning experience as opposed to just specific types of training, and trying to give attention to retention and development as a lever to pull to help to address, you know, the growth challenges and the requirements to implement technologies and learn new ways of doing business. So mm -hmm. it's really a, you know, I think a two-pronged effort. It's addressing what, what we call the skills gap by improving and investing more in, in, in training and development, taking a more holistic view, and then also continuing to focus on leveraging the things that are advantages to these companies in hiring people. 
you know, they don't have the big brands typically that the larger companies do, but they can mitigate that by playing to such advantages as being a flatter organization, which gives people the opportunity to have a greater impact sooner. Uh, there's typical, typically, you know, greater accessibility to senior leadership in, in these smaller privately held companies. So it's a, it's, it's an area where we see these companies really addressing both the training and development focus as well as, you know, new and better ways of thinking about their hiring strategies. And is another component or another impetus for training or investing in training uh, because companies are maybe challenged finding talent externally and so enhancing the skills of their current employees is sort of a way to mitigate against that? I, I think that's that's. Uh, right on point. Uh, we have, over this serve in, in this survey as well as in prior U.S. surveys, found the emergence of again what we call the skills gap, which means that these companies are having a more difficult time finding the talent that is ready and prepared to do the sorts of jobs that they are looking to hire for. So that's resulted in increasing levels in, of investment for for training as well as, um, you know, a focus on uh, leadership development. One of the things that we found is these companies are developing uh, more programs around trying to train leadership and do leadership development kinds of activities, not just to at the top of the organization, but more at, at earlier stages of a career to try to, again, help focus people on the opportunities that are in front of them as well as to continue to sort of refresh and, and encourage people to innovate and think about new and better ways of doing the jobs that, you know, they are more familiar with since their retention rates are, are you know, tend to be longer when you invest in employees in that way. And I noticed in the survey that, you know, there were a number of firms that mentioned strengthening their management team as really a priority within their growth strategy, even over some more traditional approaches like developing new products, things like that. I thought that was an interesting um, finding in the in the report. It is, and it, it sort of emphasizes the point that I, I was making around a focus on leadership development, management training programs. Again, in one of the case studies, you know, we hear the uh, CEO of the company talking about how it, it's an indication of their success at retention, training, development, leadership when they have more of their senior leadership team has been has developed their career inside the company as opposed to, you know, having to focus on hiring externally to bring in leadership. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit to talk about mergers and acquisitions. I noticed that um, the report showed that a greater number of companies are expecting to engage in M&A activity this year. I wondered what, what you saw as the drivers behind that and if if that's true across geographies or more in particular areas. We, we did see an uptick in the expectations around acquisitions. And as I look back over the last couple of years, we have had since 2015 a bit of a cooling in the M&A markets. Uh, 2015 was a record breaker. Uh, globally in the M&A transaction area, and, and we've seen in 
some other Deloitte M&A reports, as well as, as, in, as you mentioned in this report, the increases in expectations around using acquisitions as a, a method for uh, you know, growing their businesses more so than in, in prior years. There is some dispersion if you look, in, look at the various areas or geographies. Those who responded uh, in, in terms of increasing their, their levels of acquisitions in the next year, 51% of the respondents in Asia Pacific, 42% of the respondents in Europe, Middle East, Africa, and then 35% in the Americas. So while all those percentages are pretty healthy in terms of expectations around acquisitions, there is some, you know, some disparity when you look around the world. The, the, the focus of this, I think, has to do with two or three areas as we look in the survey. When, when we asked, you know, what are you looking to accomplish you know, when you uh, expect to increase acquisitions, there were two primary factors. One was to you know, diversify their um, offerings within the company to uh, better you know, create a broader base of products or services. And then the other was to look at expanding into other markets, uh, you know, really looking, you know, thinking more about geogra geographies and where they could expand their business again to sort of diversify their opportunities. I, there was one other point that I'd like to make here from an M&A perspective, and I think it goes back to our discussion about digital disruption. Um, these companies now, again, as they think about you know, the potential for disruption as they think about how they need to grow their business, become more productive and efficient. Many of them are beginning to look at themselves more as technology companies or looking to acquire companies that have expertise in technologies that they can leverage and take advantage of. So that's, you know, another, I think, element of why we, we are seeing the, uh, the M&A market uh, you know, be an area that they will move to from an, from an emphasis on organic growth in the past. Huh, that's really interesting. Um, were there any other trends in the report or, or findings that, that maybe surprised you related to M&A or, or otherwise? You know, I wouldn't say that there were, you know, big surprises. I think w one thing that, you know, I would say is, is while these companies, again, they tend to be optimistic, but they also reflect a certain level of realism when you read in the report around their focus on the different uncertainties. And so I've found that, you know, these, these companies tend to be, uh, when you look at their various um, demographics and where they operate, they're e they tend to be economic engines for their various economies around the world. And we find that they they do operate in a fashion where they're always looking to try to evolve and grow and take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them. So I, I tend to take a level of optimism away every time I or we you know, conduct these types of surveys. I do think it leaves you know the the reader and your listeners with some questions that you know you should always be thinking about if you operate in this segment. Um, you know, things like what are we doing to attract and retain talent, as we talked about earlier around, you know, the talent challenge and the skills gap. What kinds of uh, 
programs do we have in place to develop and strengthen management? Um, how are we thinking about disruption? And are we thinking about disrupting ourselves? Um, what are the kinds of technologies that uh, can help a company like ours be more productive? And are we really staying apprised and learning about what the M&A opportunities are in our industry or sector? And, you know, again, as you think about all of these activities and the requirements for capital investment, there's a final question that I think is always important to ask is, is what steps should we be taking to make our company more attractive from an investor standpoint? So those are the sorts of things that I guess that I would have as takeaways. And, and, um, and again, it's, it's always interesting to hear from, from these types of leaders as they you know, play such a significant role in the various economies that they live and work in. Absolutely. Well, Roger Nanny, thanks so much for joining me on this Middle Market Growth Conversation. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love it if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the show, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.